Kurt is, Pastor Kurt is a friend of mine. Uh, I know Darlene, we've met a few times, but Kurt and I, we've been a part of a number of uh, uh, meetings where we share a common interest, a passion for Russia. And um, I've been to Russia a few times working with uh, an orphanage, and um, I don't speak Russian, but animal noises work really well. Let me tell you, in the orphanage, they just uh, helped break, break the ice. But God is a big God, and um, part of what I want to share with you this morning is in part personal journey, things that God has been doing in my life, and I want to leave with you a bit of a challenge. Uh, we're aware of the news, we're aware of the Muslim world in uh, ways today that uh, strike fear in the heart for, for many of us, in ways that we didn't know post 9-11. Um, but I think as followers of Jesus Christ, as people who claim to know and follow God, I believe God would want us to be uh, a part of what he's doing in the world, to minister to Muslim people, to reach Muslim people, uh, to share the love of Christ with Muslim people. And so I want to share just a little bit this morning how, how God has led me. Um, I'm, I'm not a seasoned uh, missionary to the Muslim world. This is mostly post-9-11. Um, a sense of a call that God is, is drawing uh, me and my family into. Uh, my, my son of 15 is not as excited. He doesn't want to leave home and uh, go to a new country. But it is something that God has challenged us to, and we're, we're stepping out of the boat uh, in faith. Times I feel like I need fins and a snorkel, but um, God is there. The images of 9-11, the news, and the the what we saw emblazoned in our hearts and minds. Um, when that happened, I think all of us know where we were. We know kind of what was going on, the thoughts that we had, and many of the thoughts um, I share. There was, there was um, kind of a surreal sense to what was going on. Is this, is this real? Is this happening here? Is this something that, that we're experiencing today? Uh, in the workshops I've been doing, um, many people almost, uh, some of the comments have been, this is like a video game. This can't be real. This is something simulated somewhere that I'm watching. It's not true. It's not a real event. But it was. It certainly was. And many of the things that kind of creeped into my heart at that point, um, I, I have listed up here. And it, it began, began kind of a journey for me in around our dinner table at, at home, three three teenagers at that point, uh, the questions that we were asking were not only what is happening to us as a country and to a world, but also what is happening to the places where these people came from, where the perpetrators came from. And a big question, why? Why would they do something like this? And so we began to even read the news. Uh, when you live in another culture for a period of time, you always kind of want to know what the other perspective is. What are people really thinking and feeling in other places? What do they think about us as a country or as, as Americans? And one of the things that really um, concerned us around the dinner table, and it was um, kind of a difficult thing as we even shared that with other people, um, we wanted to know what was going on in Afghanistan, especially when we began to respond and bomb and, and, and try to uh, root out the Al-Qaeda group, Osama bin Laden, we were reading in the headlines, not on the front page, but more in the second section, about 5,000 refugees a day, approximately, that were being uprooted from their homes in Afghanistan, fleeing into Pakistan. We wanted to know what was going on there. 
As in many conflicts, there's innocent victims. And uh, many of these people, most of them were Muslim people. So we weren't the only victims. There were victims around the world. And many Muslim people were also victims. Sometimes when we talked about that, it was almost perceived as being unpatriotic, un-American to be concerned about other people. But I think God calls us to have a world view. It really, uh, don't get me wrong, but the bumper sticker, God bless America, is good, but it bothers me. Because I feel that sometimes it's, it's just America that we want to ask God to bless. I think He wants us to feel and have a bigger heart and have a world vision. Well, post 9-11, I began to study and um, read and go to workshops. And I became, as I mentioned up here, a bit of so list up here, kind of a, a junkie. Went to panels and just things, just trying to learn. But probably the most important thing at the bottom was I began to develop friendships with Muslims. Every time uh, there was a new news event, I would go to Majid. He was the father of a boy on my son's baseball team. And I wanted to know, Majid, what he thought, he was from Iran, what he thought of what was going on. And he began to spill out his life and his heart. I think in that, my, my heart was becoming um, tender for Muslim peoples, wanting to know more about the Muslim world. But let me back up a little bit. Some pictures from our family photo album, just to tell you and, and, and kind of trace the, the, the journey here for me. My wife and I were married in 1980, too young to get married. If you're 20, 23, don't get married. Think about it for a while. In 88, uh, with two kids, we went to Costa Rica. Um, these are my two teenagers right now, 20, actually 20 is not a teenager anymore, 20 and 17. We went to Costa Rica uh, for language study for a year because we were called by the covenant den denomination to be uh, missionaries to Mexico. We then went to Monterey, Mexico, uh, a city of four million in the northern part of Mexico, over by the uh, close to San Antonio. There we had Eric, our third, who's in the middle of the picture, the family picture in the right bottom. He's our Mexican. And then in '98, uh, we were called. I was called to be a pastor at Newport Covenant Church in Bellevue, Washington. And um, the question. When 9-11 happened, there, there was a movement. There was a definite movement. And the question is, how do we get from Mexico to, to, to Morocco? And maybe um, when I was discerning the call, there was an M somewhere there in the picture, but I didn't quite, quite get it right. But God um, is calling, and I've felt um, a growing um, sense that God is calling us to address uh, the Muslim world with the gospel, to 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 dive in to what God is doing in the Muslim world. There's, there's amazing things that God is doing in the Muslim world. Just, you need to know this. My professor um, of Islamics at Fuller has said that there's more happening today, there's more Muslim people coming to faith in Jesus Christ than in the last thousand years altogether. So behind the tragedy, behind the trauma, behind a lot of the things that we're seeing, some amazing, amazing things are happening. But I had questions, and on the next picture here, my questions and doubts. Should we send missionaries into the Muslim world? Time magazine was asking this as well. One of the big things for me, being an American and in the, the events of, of our world today, having a Danish name especially, is it foolish? Is it crazy? Is it, is it counterproductive? Am I the wrong person to go to a Muslim world, to a Muslim country? 
Is there a call or is there some sense of midlife crisis that I'm going through? Along with that, the personal questions, I wanted to know what indeed God is doing in the Muslim world. I knew just from, from understanding a little bit of missions history that the Muslim world was probably the toughest mission field um, for, for Christian missionaries. That many would labor for a life and not see any progress for their whole life. So I wanted to know if that was still the case or if there were places where we could see fruit. And then specifically, are there, are there roles that I could play? That was, that was a question that was emerging. Well, this continued a journey, and, and I want to just share with you a few discoveries this morning. Number one, um, God is calling. He's calling specific people, especially at this time, in part because of the world where we've come closer together. But he was calling me. And I was reluctant. What do you do with three teenagers? Uh, you have a home. You have all the things that we do. Sports, baseball, band, you know, all the activities with a the, with the family. Not so young anymore like many of you, but still a family. Teenagers uh, don't want to move as much as our, young, our kids when they were young. But Carol and I, we took a trip to Spain, uh, having Spanish... Um, down pretty well. We, we uh, knew that Spain was an important place in terms of reaching uh, Muslim peoples. And I had this experience, uh, this picture here, there's three, three people on the front. Um, there's a couple from Bethlehem, Palestinian Christians, and then Hafida. Hafida is, is a Moroccan lady. She, uh, we were invited over to dinner at their place, and um, a wonderful Mediterranean setting, close to the, the beach in southern Spain. Had a dish of paella. Anybody had paella? It's pretty good stuff. Uh, depends on what they put in it. But we, we had a great, a great meal. Around the table, much like the Last Supper, there was, there was table fellowship. We were connecting. And I, I kind of shared my struggles and my sense of, I may feel called, but Surely it can't be me to this group. And Hafida looked at me and she said, Andy, you know what? When I became a Christian in my uh, village in, in northern Morocco, I had to leave. I brought shame on my family because I became a Christian. Her case wasn't as bad as some. In some families, the father will even say, uh, if, if I don't kill you, I will have to issue a death threat on your life. You've brought shame on our family. You have to leave. So Hafida fled. She, she left. She went to Spain. She's involved in, in a radio ministry now in, in Malaga, Spain. But she said, now, now you, well, just a little bit more. Whenever she goes back to visit home, uh, she is, she's avoided. It's like she has leprosy or, or some kind of communicable disease. They don't want to be seen with her. They don't want to converse with her, especially in public, because she stepped out. She brought shame on her family, on the community. But she said, you, on the other hand, being a Westerner, people would be very curious. Why are you here, knowing that you're an American, knowing that you're Christian, even more curious, that the curiosity would just kind of increase. And then knowing if they knew that you were a clergy, a pastor, they would maybe even come up to you and ask you spiritual questions. There's a verse in the Quran that says, uh, a good Muslim will know this. They'll be instructed. If you have questions of faith, go to people of the book and inquire of them. 
That's the revelation Muhammad got. It's in the Quran, and it's referring to Jews and Christians. So Hafidah kind of painted that picture, and uh, my doubts, my worries, my many of them are still there, but I just felt, okay, God was nudging me that much more. And I understood that God was calling Muslim people to faith in Jesus Christ, and that perhaps, perhaps, He wanted me to be a part of that. Discovery number one, God is calling. He's calling the church. He's calling individuals. He's calling me. Discovery number two, and the news recently has given us plenty of examples of this, but the the growing population, the Muslim presence in Europe is, is obvious. From 82 to 2003 in Spain alone, it's gone from 150 120,000 to about a million. In France, there's over 6 million. In Germany, there's over 4 million. And many of these places are where there's conflict. The flashpoints in Europe, in March 11, 2004, almost two years ago, the bombings in Madrid. Last summer in London, July 7th, bombings again. Last fall, I was in, in Barcelona, Spain, went to Marseille, France, and then finished a trip in London. These riots, by the way, there's new riots right now if you follow the news in, in France. But these riots were occurring uh, two weeks after I left. And then the recent flap over the cartoon published in a Danish newspaper. These are the flashpoints. And uh, when I was in London, I saw, I was on the, the tube, that's the subway, and uh, I saw a group of Muslims very clearly just by their dress. And, and, um, and this thing creeped up in my heart, fear. I wanted to know, what are they carrying in their backpack? What's in their personal belongings? What are their intentions? Could I be in that place at the wrong time where something happens? And fear comes in, it creeps in so easily. And for some of us, sometimes there's other emotions that are stronger. 4% is the number, my professor tells me, of the Muslim world that would be fit into the terrorist mold. Percentage-wise, it's not very large. There's a lot of people that, a lot of Muslim people that don't agree with this. We're instructed in 1 John 4, perfect love casts out fear. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment. And he who fears is not perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. God calls us to love and not to allow fear to, to creep in. A third important discovery for me as I've been on this journey for a few years is there are friendly people and there's in the Muslim world there's a friendly response. If you reach out, you extend a hand of friendship, it, it comes back. Now I think on a larger scale we're seeing that if, if we respond with a fist of violence, it comes back. But God is calling us to, to not reciprocate but to be people of love, to be people of compassion, to be people who reach over the, vo- the void and the gaps, the things that separate us. The gentleman in the picture standing next to me is Mohammed. And Mohammed is a young Moroccan, an immigrant to Spain. He's, he's working, he's studying language, he spoke French, Spanish fluently with me, English, Arabic. He's, he's a, a bright, intelligent young man who's, who's reaching across that void as well. And he is studying scripture. He's reading his Bible with, with a Christian, and he's seeking and he's open. Last spring, 
as a part of our adjustment and thinking of moving to Spain, I took Eric, my 15-year-old, to Spain. We were playing tourists, so we weren't a threat, but uh, I sensed this warm openness as Westerners, just walking around in Tangier for a day. Eric had fun mounting a camel. It was just, it was just kind of great. It's not something you have in suburbia in the States. I don't know. Do you? Maybe Beaverton is different. Well, as this journey and as this discovery and as this thing of thinking of, of moving and working and serving Muslim people in Spain, we began discussions with Covenant World Missions. And on the next slide, it's called uh, the Mosaics Project is what we've come up with. We're recognizing that in Europe there's different uh, immigrant populations in different countries. Uh, in Germany, it's predominantly Turkish people. In Spain, predominantly from North Africa, same as France. In England, Asians many, many of whom are Muslim peoples. We can go to Morocco as missionaries, but we can go to Spain as missionaries. We can share openly in Spain. The fourth discovery, God is calling people from around the world, Christians, to serve. In October, I was in Barcelona at a conference. It was a missions conference discussing how do we reach Muslim people for Christ. I was one of three North Americans the most, most of the others were from Mexico, from Chile, from Argentina, from Latin American countries. The Moors were in Spain for 700 years. They influenced Spanish culture, which was then brought over to the Americas. 25 or the, 25% of the Spanish language has Arabic origins. There's expressions, there's culture, there's values, there's a lot of things that Latinos just understand about the Muslim world. Our experience in Mexico is a part of that, and we feel that we can work alongside and, and be a part of what God is doing. God is calling. He is calling people from around the world to reach and to serve Muslims. What kind of Christian do we need to be today? James 3, 13 through 18. We're, we're just about done. Write this down. Read it. These are words that should influence how we respond to enemies, how we respond to Muslim peoples, if you're married and you have a conflict, this is great too. Are we people who sow seeds of peace? Do we make peace? Are we peacemakers? Do we give of ourselves? Do we share the love of Christ with others? God is calling Christians, followers of Christ, to be peacemakers and to sow seeds. In Barcelona at this conference, the gentleman's name was Mohammed. And I was with Mohammed for a number of days. We shared meals. We were around a table. By the way, the, the, the table that we're going to eat from today, it's holy and sacred, but it's also real. These are the elements that Christ used that were right there. They were eating. And He took something from the dinner table and He used that and made it a sacrament. He used it to talk about His relationship to us in a sacrifice, but it was practical. Well, over a table with Muhammad, he said to me, Andy, be patient with me. I grew up a Muslim. Until 18, when I left, I heard that Jesus was a prophet, someone that we respect and honor as Muslims. But the Son of God, how can that be? No way. It's very difficult for a Muslim to embrace that. For him, and he said this, uh, God... Allah is the high God, the God of the universe, the creator God. 
Very remote. You can know God's will, but you can't know Him personally. And a son, what would his son be like? Well, for them to hear us say Jesus is the Son of God is like this high God, this Creator, coming down and having intimate relationships with Mary. And the product is Jesus. It's a scandal. It's a scandal. And I grew up knowing this. And so it's not hard for me to accept. But Muhammad is on this journey and he's, he said, be patient with me. But he's hearing the good news of Jesus Christ. He's hearing that Jesus died for him. He's coming to understand that this Jesus is indeed the Son of God. Well, I invite you to join us on our journey, but also to start your own journey, to step out in faith, to step out of the boat, to trust God, to lead you to Muslim peoples. We're about to celebrate communion. And we've been invited to the table by Christ. And Jesus also said this, And they will come from east and west and from north and south and recline at the table of the kingdom of God. It was around a table where I was nudged in my call by Hafida. It's at the table where you come today and you receive the forgiveness of your sins. It's at the table that God is inviting everybody and He's calling Muslim peoples to share this table as well. Two weeks ago I was at another church and I was sharing and... They had two services and the, someone came up to me between the first and second service and they said, oh, by the way, it was a communion day as well. By the way, um, I invited my friend from Saudi Arabia to the next service. I was preaching more or less the same sermon. Brought fear back into my heart. What is he going to think of what I'm saying? Will he report me to somebody? Will I be pursued? But I shared just from my heart and the Holy Spirit was with us. And Muhammad... It's a common name for Muslims. He came up after the service. And Oman, who is a new believer in Christ, three months, Oman just, the, the, the student from Oman just radiated. There was this joy. There was this peace. There was a, to use an overused word, there was an aura of something that he had. Muhammad was seeking. He was drawn to that. And the life and the presence of Jesus and his friend. We shared about Christ. We were standing right by the communion table. It was powerful. It was palpable. I could feel God's presence. God's inviting us to share this with Muslim people, to share your life, to give the good news of Jesus Christ to people that strike fear in our hearts. But He's calling and He's faithful. Amen.